What's up? It's Granger Smith, and this is the Granger Smith Podcast, Episode 1. I'm brand new to this, so I'm going to kind of make it up as I go, like a lot of things I do in my life. And I've got a lot of stories to tell. I hope that there's a lot of people that want to hear them, so here goes nothing. Episode 1. Iowa. It's one of my favorite places to be. I'm a Texas boy, and I didn't know much about Iowa until I started touring. And uh, for that matter, it wasn't until probably about 2013 uh, before I finally got to Iowa, before we had enough fans to get to Iowa. So that brings me to today, Guthrie Center, Iowa. Now, the plan is to do these podcasts wherever I am, which is usually on tour. So the first one is right here at Guthrie's River Ruckus Festival. I'm sitting in the back of my bus, wildflower. I'm looking out of the window. The blinds are open. It's an empty festival yard. Rolling hills of Iowa, which most people think Iowa's flat, but it actually has some beautiful rolling hills, a little slice of heaven. And today is a blue sky afternoon, so I couldn't ask for a better day to start this podcast, which leads me to my point. Let's get started. I want to talk about how this whole crazy journey began. You know, my very first memory, I was three years old. When people think I'm a little crazy because I can remember being three. And I don't remember complete thoughts, you know, stories. I just remember this one very specific memory. And we were living in Carrollton, Texas. We moved away from there when I was four. That's how I could kind of narrow down the timeline of this thought. We were living in a little house that had a sunroom, tile floors, a stereo, and a couch. Besides that, I could remember a window that looked into the backyard. So off into the distance, through the window, you could see past the backyard over our old wooden fence that we had, and there was a hill, and you could see a road, a highway, off in the distance. And so on a clear day, you could see all the cars, right? And so my memory is three years old, waking up in the middle of the night, and I would go to the sunroom, And I would lay on the couch and look out through the window, out into the distance, to this highway. And I would see these these headlights and these taillights back and forth. The middle of the night. My parents are asleep. My my brother is asleep. And I, I remember very specifically the part of this memory is that I'm thinking... Where are these people going in the middle of the night, driving? And I wish I could do that too. It wasn't because I wasn't happy. Actually, nothing to do with that. I had a great family. Strange. I know it sounds weird. I'm three years old. sounds weird. But that, that has never left me. And that feeling is still, is still in me. It's still... I have a little, maybe a little uh, FOMO, a little fear of missing out. And when people are going somewhere, I want to go too. I'm not much of a homebody, I guess you could say. I like to keep moving. And that's why this business was perfect for me, the music business. And and the first time I, I jumped in a pickup truck and hooked up a trailer and we headed out to San Angelo, Texas, which that was my first road trip ever from College Station, and that first trip uh, was freedom. It was like, man, here we go. We're, we're, we're heading west. We got 
guitars and amps stacked up in the back. It's we're off on an adventure. We don't know how how this day is going to pan out. Hell, this is an adventure, and uh, I can't wait to find out where it leads me. And that feeling is every day, still today. And what I want to talk about on this first podcast, and I've done a little thinking about this. And by the way, thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, tuning into something like this because I can't imagine a, a more personal way to reach people than a podcast. Me sitting here in the back of my bus with one microphone. I'm the only one in this room. I'm the only one producing this. Uh, it's just me. And that means a lot that anyone would, would want to engage in that. So what I wanted to talk about was how I became a fan. I'll talk about how I played guitar how I started singing on stages. I'll talk about all that stuff at some point. But this first one, I want to talk about how I became a fan. Because me becoming a fan is such an important part of my story and such an important part of how I live my life as a musician now. It's all reflecting upon when I became a fan and how passionately engaged I was on that front row. It was Garth Brooks, for sure. In a lot of ways, that was my first uh, musical love. I, I listened to you know all kinds of crazy bands as a kid, like Poison and Dr. Dre and Vanilla Ice, Bobby Brown. The Eagles, probably the first band I ever sang to. That's another story for another time. But I think when I really started feeling what the passion of music was it was Garth Brooks sometimes late at night I lie awake and watch her sleeping this song If Tomorrow Never Comes was released in August of 1989 I was just a kid but it is crazy the impact that this song made and this was my first understanding of the power of music my granddad was very sick with lung cancer and he was in his last days he was a, a very quiet man um, very hard worker very traditional raised six children loved his garden worked construction slow texas draw hero from world war ii in the pacific you get the picture of who this guy was um, very typical of what we like to call the greatest generation. He was not very affectionate with his words. It was very rare that he would say, I love you, to my grandmother or to his children. And when this song came out in August of 1989, it spoke to my grandmother so much. And even more interesting, it spoke to my grandfather and he was so affected by that song that he felt that compassion of those lyrics and told her how much he loved her, uh, which is exactly what the song was written for. If tomorrow never comes, will she know how much I love her? This was obviously the very beginning of Garth's career, and he came to College Station, Texas, for a show at a place called the Texas Hall of Fame. 
And that day, he, he went and did a Walmart meet-and-greet. People did this all the time back in the 90s. You would go to Walmart and meet your favorite artist and get their autograph. And um, such a cool one-on-one experience you could have. So she went and waited in line, and she met Garth, and she told him what that song meant to her. That might not be that big a deal to most artists, but knowing the stories you hear about Garth, I'm sure, I'm sure he listened to her. If tomorrow never comes Will she know how much I loved her? Did I try in every way To show her every day That she's my only one Three months later, November 1989, my granddad passed away. It was tough on everybody in the family, but there was a there was a peace about it because he was able to say how much my grandmother meant to him. Thanks a lot to Garth for that and the power of his music, the power of the song. But the story doesn't end there. It meant so much to her that she wanted to include that song on his gravestone. I called her just now to tell me exactly what she had written on that stone. He said, if tomorrow never comes, I love you now and I always will. Because you're my only one. That's it. And she chokes up, and it's been 30 years since she had those words put on his headstone. I was just a little kid, but that's the first time I felt the power of country music. Unbelievable. Looking back On the memory of The dance we shared Beneath the stars above Why did you decide to put Garth Brooks on there? Because when Doug was sick over at Temple and Ruth and I went to see God, he came to Walmart, him and his wife, the first time he'd ever been there. He was going to be there one hour, but then so many people came in begging to stay. He stayed two hours. Then when we went out to the club that night, Judy threw a, a, a note up there on the stage that my mother's here, she loves you. And would you please sing if tomorrow never comes? So he sang it. <laughs> and I said, hey. I waved at him. So <laughs> he waved back, and I, everybody in there was looking at me, and I said, Woo, I love that guy. So I'm sure a million people have a very similar story with Garth. He just has that kind of legacy with his fans. But, you know, the reason I'm talking about it in my podcast is because I'm an artist now. I make my living on the road. I make my living because of fans, because of community. And, gosh, is there anything better that you could possibly learn than this from Garth? And I was a kid, you know, and that's the effect it's having on me. And now it's part of my story. That was my grandmother, and she still cries about this. She still laughs about this. 92 years old. That's crazy to me.
So the podcast is brand new. Obviously, I don't have any sponsors yet. I don't even have any listeners yet, actually. But, hey, I, I can talk about one thing, Yee Yee Energy. It's not really a sponsor because it's my drink. Me and my brothers made it. But people always say, oh, Granger Smith, he just aligned himself with some energy drink company and then stamped his name on it. That's actually not what we did. We actually started from scratch and built an energy drink ourselves. We got several different companies from all over the country to make these recipes, and they would send them to us, and we would taste test ourselves, me and my two brothers. We would decide on what we didn't like, a little too sweet, a little too tangy, and we would send our results back until we finally got what I think is the perfect tasting drink. So if you haven't had Yee Yee Energy, go to my website, GrangerSmith.com. Go to YeeYeeEnergy.com. You can get it on Amazon right now. However you get it, I just I hope you try it. And let me know what you think. And that's my shameless sponsor plug. So there I was, a kid in the 90s, deeply and directly impacted by songs. Country music was alive and well in my family. And by the way, there was this brand new thing that everyone was listening to music on, and it was called a compact disc. Don't rock the jukebox. Only hear some junk. I had all kinds of CDs. I collected Alan Jackson, Clint Black, Vince Gill, Tracy Lawrence, Neil McCoy, Sammy Kershaw, Steve Warner, on and on. But it wasn't just CDs I was listening to. We were watching music videos on CMT. They called it country music till the cows come home back then. And we didn't have cable at home. But my grandmother, Minnie, who I just talked to on the phone, she introduced me to music videos and would record them on VHS And every time I would see her, she would have a brand new tape labeled that she had written on with hundreds of music videos that she wanted me and my brother to see. And it was this way that I found Mark Chestnut. In sports, last night in Oakland, Nolan Ryan pitched the sixth no-hitter of his career. Boy, oh boy, Nolan's hot, isn't he? Talk about hot. It's hot everywhere here in Southeast Texas. So here's Mark Chestnut and his music video for Two Gold at Home, and he's driving in his pickup. And he goes and he visits this uh, little single-wide trailer that obviously his girl left him in, and he's alone. Humidity's up around 70%. And so I'm locked on watching this country boy. Another muggy night on the bayou with lows in the 80s. Man, oh man, oh man. Well, like they say, you can't do nothing about the weather. So let's get back to more music. The steel guitar leads the song in, he steps out of the truck, walks into the bar to grab a cold beer, and I'm thinking, I like this guy. Well, it sure feels good to come in here. So it wasn't just the music now, it was the video, it was the visual that starts moving me, drawing me in. I became obsessed with music videos, and I watched this one over and over, wore out that old VHS that Minnie gave me. This is my favorite part right here. Well, yeah, don't work. He looks at the bartender. He says, well, I got to go to work. And he gets up from the bar, and then he, he's with this full band, and they're playing in the honky-tonk. And that's his job. And I'm thinking, that's his work? I want to do that. And just like that, the honky-tonk seeds are planted inside me. It's so easy. It was because of these music videos that my brother Tyler and I first started messing around with the camera. And uh, we reenacted music videos, a lot of them. We would just set the, set the camera up, either me or him, and we would play a song on a stereo, 
And then the other one would kind of dress up a little bit, maybe put on a cowboy hat and uh, act out like we were a country music star. The truth is I had no idea who I was about to discover that would drastically change the course of my life forever. I don't remember how or when or why, but I know the song was Oceanfront Property that first led me to George Strait. And then it wasn't long before I found Amarillo by Morning. Amarillo by Morning Up from San Antonio I loved it. I still do. My favorite song. It was my good luck song. I felt like every time it came on the radio or through a speaker, the rest of the day would be good. So his Greatest Hits Volume 2 with Oceanfront Property then took me backwards to Greatest Hits Volume 1, and then I found Straight Country, and then Straight From The Heart, and then Right or Wrong, uh, Does Fort Worth Ever Cross Your Mind, Something Special. I was a George Strait junkie and had everything he put out. But apparently, I wasn't the George Strait super fan yet that I was about to become. Amy Haynes, that was her name. She said, hey, I'm having a bunch of people come to my house, and we're going to watch Pure Country together. I say, what's Pure Country? She looks at me like I'm crazy. That's George Strait's movie. What? George Strait has a movie? How did I not know this? How in the world did this get past me? When did you stop loving me? So I watched it, and I watched it again, and then I went and bought it, and then I watched it over and over and over again. I'm talking so many times that I memorized every single word, and that's exactly what I did, freakishly. I didn't watch any other TV, only that movie. And right around the time when this obsession starts to become unhealthy, it gets worse. I joined his fan club so I could find more people like me. And guess what? He's coming to San Antonio, Texas on tour for the George Strait Country Music Fest. And yes, I gotta go. I'm 15 years old and my amazing dad takes me and two other buddies on a four-hour trek from Dallas down to San Antonio. On the way, we even took a pit stop in New Braunfels so that I could walk in Green Hall, the place where George took the pictures for his first album, Straight Country. The concert was uh, unbelievable. I screamed like a little girl, I'm sure. And all I wanted when it was over was for there to be more. I look at his calendar, and he's coming to Dallas in the summer. And by then, I'll be 16 years old, you can't write this script any better for me at this point. Now, I have a green 1974 GMC pickup truck, three in the tree. And you damn right it could get me to Texas Stadium. The interesting news is, since I'm a fan club member, I could spend the night at Texas Stadium about a month before and get fan club exclusive seating, which just happens to be second row center. Second row in a stadium. You know how amazing that would be? And so my parents, bless their heart, allowed their 16-year-old son to go to Texas Stadium, spend the night with a bunch of other crazy George Strait fans. And when the sun came up that morning, you better believe I was second in line at 7 a.m. when they opened the ticket office. And there it was, like gold in my hand, a paper ticket that had second row smack dab in the middle. I got there early. The gates opened at noon. 
I saw a bunch of great bands like Sleep at the Wheel, Faith Hill, Tim McGraw, and then it was time for George. The show started exactly like the movie Pure Country. Lights down, the track started, his son Bubba starts singing Heartland. When you hear twin fiddles and a steel guitar. A video starts playing up on the big screen. It's, it's from Chevy Trucks and it's this gorgeous brand new pickup truck traveling through the Texas Hill Country and everyone is fixated on it. The lights in the stadium are off. I mean, it's black. Besides the video, I'm looking around and it's kinetic energy like crazy. People are losing their minds. 60,000 people in the dark together and I'm taking the bait, hook, line, and sinker. I'm scanning the stage. I've got incredible second row seats. I could see footsteps rushing around and I, I could see lighting guides and security and, and band members and tour managers. And I'm thinking if I could just be a part of this, nothing else matters. I have found my calling. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. The energy raises. There's a stir in the crowd. Cameras are up. People are looking left, right, up, down. They know he's close. I know he's close. I can feel it. There's a place where mornings run in this blue. And like a light from heaven shining on a white cowboy hat. The spotlight illuminates him. Ladies and gentlemen, George Strait. Ten feet away from my outstretched hands, my jaw drops. Would you believe me if I told you I walked away from that show getting to shake his hand from the stage? getting one of his guitar picks, and getting his entire band's autograph. I guess after everything I've told you, you probably would believe that. I was a crazy fan. It definitely didn't end that night. I mean, I guess you could say that was the beginning. I started following his tour everywhere. Sometimes I had friends with me, and then sometimes I just went by myself. I learned all the intricacies of the entire show. I even knew the routines of the security guys. And they even told me, they said, hey, you could rush the stage whenever they bring the big concert cameras down. And of course, I knew exactly what song that was, and I would leap over the front row, and boom, there I was, on the foot of the stage, with a thousand teenage girls pushing me up against it. So, hey, George, it's me. I was that kid on the front row for all those Texas shows in the 90s. You know, I even went as far as going to the back of the arenas where all the buses were parked. And I knew George's bus. It was a big white one. And I would wait in the closest spot by that fence so that I could see his bus. And uh, I would wait for George to walk out of the dressing room. And usually he would walk out with his wife, Norma. And during that little moment, during that time, I would yell out, George, George. <laughs> and he would kind of look over and wave. And that wave, doesn't matter how many hours I waited by that fence, just the acknowledgement that I was another human being on the same planet as him made it all worth it. Okay, I know what you're thinking, and this is not the George Strait Fan Club podcast. Even though I could do a pretty damn good one, but it would uh, probably be about four hours long and very boring. 
But the reason I'm saying it and the reason it's part of this podcast and part of my story is for me to tell you that I was a crazy fan, right? And I believe with all my heart that me being a crazy fan allows me to understand them. And there's not a single night that goes by that I don't, as an artist, scan that front row and, and look for that boy or girl and look for that fire in their eyes that I recognize so well. And if I could give them a guitar pick or shake their hand, then I get it. I know what that is doing. I consider myself a fan first. VIPs, meet and greets, shows, that's all allowed by fans. And this is not all going to last forever anyway. I mean, it might not even last the next few years. I hope it does. It's not up to me. It's up to the fans. So every day when I walk out on that stage, it's a blessing for me to live my dream. But, you know, it's also a responsibility for me to give back to those fans because they deserve it. I felt like I deserved it. And George Strait gave that to me. And I'm never going to compare myself to George, but don't you think it's my job now to pass on what I saw, what I experienced, what I witnessed? Especially now knowing what I have the ability to share. Don't you think that's my responsibility? I do. There's so many more stories to connect these dots. Like how I started playing music myself. And there's plenty of time for that. I can't start boring you too much on episode one. Plus, I got a show to play in Iowa. And there could be that kid tonight on the front row. And he needs a guitar pick. So as Mark Chestnut said, I got to go to work. Thank you so much for being a part of episode one. There's more to come, I promise. It happens like that. Out of the blue sky, lost in her blue eyes. Yeah, when it happens like that. Nothing to lose turns right into you. Doing all you can do just to keep her around till the moon goes down and you're back at your house. One thing leads to another. You loving each other when looking, you never look back. It happens like that. This podcast is brought to you by Yee Yee Energy. Come find us on tour, GrangerSmith.com forward slash tour. See you down the road.